right, as you find your places, turn in your Bibles, Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, and if you're a guest here tonight, we welcome you, good to see Kendra Nicolas and your daughters here tonight, visiting from White House Baptist, good to see you always, glad you're here, and if you don't remember, uh, we are just getting into uh, our Bible study through the book of Galatians on Wednesday nights, and Got a couple of lessons out of here, but then we've taken a couple of weeks off as well. So we're getting back into it tonight. And <clears throat> our text tonight is going to be verses 6 through 9. We've already covered verses 1 through 5, and I'll just give you a little bit of a reminder of what verses 1 through 5 were about. In fact, let's just read those verses, and we'll read all the way down through verse 9, okay? Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you have so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And we, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. We talked about the purpose of this epistle to the churches of the region of Galatia and the main reason for writing to the churches was to preserve the purity of the gospel because there were those, as Paul says here, who would present another gospel, which Paul says is not another, meaning it's not another one of the same kind. It's a perversion. And then he said in verse 7, this is something that troubles you. And it troubled them uh, in their spirit, in their soul. It, it agitates it. It confuses. That's what Paul's talking about. We'll talk about some of that in just a minute. But these were perverting the gospel of Christ. There were some converted Jews who had introduced a system of works into salvation. And what that consisted of was that these converted Jews were saying that any Gentile believers, in order for them to truly be saved, not only did they have to believe on Jesus, but they also had to be circumcised. And they were introducing ceremonial law-keeping for these Gentile believers in order for them to be truly saved. And the result of that was this weird mixture of grace and works. They didn't deny that salvation was by faith in Christ, but they added to it. And so this first chapter of Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia, Paul immediately begins to deal with the problem of what is called legalism, true legalism, works for salvation. And we said that we would consider three things in this chapter. Verses 1 through 5, we would cover the declaration of the gospel. In verses 6 through 9, which is our text verses tonight, we'll discuss the distortion of the gospel. And then the last part of the chapter, the dynamic of the gospel. Now, the last time we were together, we talked about the declaration of the gospel in verse 1, Paul establishes authority right away. He says, An apostle, not of men, neither by man, 
but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. In other words, he's establishing his authority here. He says, as an apostle, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle of God the Father. My call was not of man. Uh, my commission was not by man. It was from God himself. And so as this epistle unfolds, we'll understand some of that because, because there were those uh, in Galatia or in the churches of Galatia who were questioning Paul's apostolic authority and the source of his message. And so he confronts that in the very first verse of this epistle, claiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ as his authority to preach the gospel. And the application that we made to that was that the authority uh, for all that follows in this epistle is established right here in verse 1, that it comes from God. And that's important because if we lose sight of the fact that a man who is called of God, who is commissioned by God to declare the word of God, has God-given authority behind it, if we lose sight of that, we're not going to respond properly to the word of God. Instead, we're, instead of, of responding as unto the Lord, we're going to do it as unto men. You remember how Paul told the Thessalonian believers how proud he was of them and how they had received the word of God as it was in truth. Not the words of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. That's also how we need to receive God's word. Paul addresses in the verse 2, he addresses churches, all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. He doesn't use the singular. And in doing that, we made the note that he is recognizing the autonomy of churches in the same region. There were several different churches, and he's recognizing their autonomy. There's no such thing as a universal, invisible church. These are all local bodies. And then Paul reminds them of grace and peace in verse 3. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about how there always needs to be grace before there can be peace. We can't have the peace of God until we've made peace with God. And that comes by His grace. Peace with God is made possible because of His grace. And then we talked about how grace is necessary for all of the Christian life. From start to finish. The Christian life is hard. We can't live without the grace of God. And what is grace? It's not only unmerited favor, but it's also divine enabling. In other words, uh, what we should be, what we ought to be as Christians, we cannot obtain without the grace of God. We can't do it in the flesh. And you often know what you should be or at least what you ought to be, or what you want to be. And it can be frustrating sometimes. We can get frustrated if we're trying so hard, but with the wrong power source. Have you ever felt that frustration before? I know that I have in my Christian life. There are times, there are times when, when it's almost like, you know what, I get upset, I get angry, because, because it's almost like we're set up for failure. I'm supposed to do right, but I can't with this old sinful flesh. And then it's like, okay, well, if I don't do right and I mess up, and then, then my view of God comes into play here because is God just waiting in heaven to, to, to judge me or beat me over the head because of a failure? Well, I can't help the failure because I'm a sinner, right? And so we feel these frustrations. Paul did too. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 
Well, the truth of the matter is, getting where we ought to be, or even where we want to be, or where the Lord wants us to be, cannot be done by us working harder to control any grace, any divine enabling. And we get that by simply yielding today, in this moment, to the Lord and asking God to work His will in our life and entrusting Him. That is moment by moment, literally moment by moment. And I've experienced that just as much as you have. You can have a good day for most of the day, and then one moment can completely turn things all around. We need it moment by moment. And then Paul points to God's ultimate intentions when he says in verse 4, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. You know how God views this world? As evil. He calls it the present evil world. According to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul is anticipating what he's about to write concerning the gospel of grace. And before he does that, Paul declares it's Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins. And we talked about that for a little while. Just think of it, that he gave himself. This is God giving himself for us, for our sins, because there was no other way. And the purpose for that, Paul says in verse 4, is to deliver us from this present evil world and ultimately so that God would receive the glory. And so Paul establishes in his opening remarks here that salvation, it's all of God's, it's all of God's grace from start to finish. Uh, there's no part that doesn't involve God's grace and there's no part of it uh, where, where we have to help God in any of it. We need to cooperate, but there's no part where we need to help God in it. And so Paul establishes this right away and this is important to understand because of what is coming next. We can talk about grace or works. Which one is it? And tonight, we're going to consider verses 6 through 9, the distortion of the gospel. Paul talked about the declaration of the gospel. So let's look into these verses here, the distortion of the gospel. Look at verse 6 again. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than ye have received, let him be accursed. There are two things that we're going to consider tonight under the distortion of the gospel. We're going to consider the cause of their defection, and then we're going to consider the curse of defection. Let's pray, and then we'll begin. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with your word tonight, and Lord, we always need your help to understand it, and then Lord, to apply it properly. And so Lord, I pray that you'd give us your grace in that. Lead in your spirit, and Lord, I pray that our hearts would be engaged with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll not keep you long tonight, but I just ask that you pay attention, stay awake, and Ask the Lord to teach you tonight. Amen. First of all, consider the cause of their defection. Paul says in verse 6, notice, 
I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel. Notice that Paul says he marveled of their removal in verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed. And he says, the thing that, that, I, that, I, that troubles me and the thing that astonishes me here that I'm marveling over is, number one, that it was so soon. They're not old in the faith. Not, they haven't been around a long time. He says, but I marvel that you're so soon removed from the gospel. That means, what that phrase means, is means easily persuaded to change. It means so quickly that they adopted the views of these Judaizers who had come in and started adding works to the gospel of grace. That's not how they were saved. They were saved completely under the grace of God, and now there were some who had come in who were changing things, adding to it, and Paul says, it shocks me that you're so easily and so quickly persuaded to change. But you know what? That's not uncommon even for Christian people today. One of the heartbreaks of ministry that any pastor who's been around for any length of time can tell you, one of the greatest heartbreaks is watching people change their views as if truth is an opinion. There are some times when people just, they, they, they have this, what they call a conviction, and they're so dogmatic about something that they call a conviction in their life, and they'll even challenge other people. They'll stand up to other people because this is what the Bible says. This is a conviction in my life. But you know what? As soon as circumstances change in their life, as soon as the, the picture changes, all of a sudden that was what was a conviction, a, a doctrine of conviction now becomes a doctrine of convenience. And my views begin to change as my situation changes. And as a pastor, you watch, watch for the souls of men. You observe and people who once stood in a certain place are not the same anymore. And usually it comes and usually it happens if all of a sudden the status quo has now changed. And there's a, there's a challenge that they don't like. There's a challenge that comes into their life that either makes them, confronts them with their own issues or something that doesn't line up with how they think. And instead of responding in a biblical manner, the response is fleshly and then it builds and it grows. And all of a sudden, little by little, things start to change. They're not the same anymore. They don't have the same responses. They don't have the same kind of heart and love that they once had. People will change to fit or to justify what is happening in their life. And Paul says, I, it shocks me that you are so easily persuaded to change. Truth doesn't ever change. So quickly they adopted these views. And here was the biggest part. Paul not only says that it was so soon, but note this at the second part of verse 6. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ 
unto another gospel. You notice that? What he's saying is, what is even more shocking than, it, than, than how easily and how quickly you're persuaded, but what's even more shocking than that is that you're moving away from grace into another gospel. They had been saved from themselves. They had been saved from their false religion that, by the way, would have had a works base to it, something that they would have had to work for. And if you've got to work for it, then you also have to work to keep it. And you're never good enough. You'll never be able to keep it. And Paul says, it's shocking to me that you're moving from him who's called you into grace unto something that's not the same thing. They had been called into the glorious grace of God, something that they did not deserve, something that was just from God and His love for them, something that was, that was so out of their reach, and yet God gave it to them. They had been called into that glorious grace, and they moved away from that to another gospel. That word another there in verse 6 it means another one of a different kind, meaning it's not the same. It's not equal to, it's not just as good, it, it's not something that will work. You know how a lot of Christianity today says that you've got your way and I've got my way and they've got their way and they're all just as good and we're all going to the same place. You, under, you understand that? Paul's saying it's not another one of the same kind. It's not just as good. It's not the same thing. In other words, if it's not the same thing, it's not anything. Now notice not only the marvel of their removal, but notice the mistake of their removal. Look at verse 7. He says, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. This is a different word here. This word another, it's translated as the same word in English, but it's a different word in the Greek. And it means another one of the same kind. So in other words, he says, you have been removed unto another gospel, another one of a different kind, which is not another. I mean, it's not another one of the same kind. In other words, it's totally different. And he says, it, it's no gospel at all, is what he's saying. It has no power of God to it. Because the true gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And what you're being removed from or moving to is no gospel at all that has no power of God to it. It's nothing. In fact, it's a perversion. And he says, there be some that trouble you. That means to stir up. It means to agitate. It means to disquiet. It means to make restless. It means to cause to be anxious. It means to cause doubt. That's interesting. Have you ever noticed how many Christians doubt their salvation? Who are anxious and wondering and who are troubled over whether they're really saved or not? Have you ever noticed that? He said, there'd be some who trouble you and they want to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word pervert means to turn around. It means the opposite. It means to corrupt. In other words, it has the connotation or the meaning of 
to turn from its proper use to distort from its true use or its purpose or its end. In other words, Paul is saying to change the gospel that that I preached unto you and that you were saved by, that is all by the grace of Jesus Christ, to change the gospel in any way renders it completely void. Jesus said, it's finished. Jesus said, it's complete. There's nothing to add to it. There's nothing to take away from it. It's God's perfect plan of redemption, and it's complete. It's finished. And just let me say this to you tonight, friend. There's a whole lot out there that calls itself gospel, but it's a perversion. They add to it. You have all kinds of Christian religion, Catholicism, Lutheranism, and such, where you have to have faith in Christ, but your confirmation or your infant baptism is a vehicle of saving grace to Christ. Or adding circumcision or Sabbath-keeping works of any kind in addition to it makes it no gospel at all. It's void. But you know what? Taking away from it also renders it another gospel, which is not another. It's not another one of the same kind. You take away from the deity of Jesus Christ, you're not a saved person. You take away from the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanseth from all sin, you're not a saved person. You take away the fact that salvation is for every man, whosoever will, to all that would believe, you're not a saved person. You take away repentance, and you're not a saved person. You see churches that are full of people that are unregenerate. We call ourselves Christian. We feel good about our religion. But there's, no, but there's been no heartache over their sin toward God. There's been no understanding of the fact that I am in trouble with God because of my sin. And, and let's, just, let's just call on Jesus and everybody just come on down the aisle. And we all come on down the aisle. You just look at me and you say these words and you're going to be saved. Do you believe in Jesus? I do. Then praise the Lord, your sins are forgiven. And where are these people after that profession of faith? How many of them follow the Lord in scriptural baptism? How many of them are disciples? How many of them experience a life change? How many sit in this room, even tonight, who have a profession of faith? But there's been no real change in their life. Oh, maybe for a little while. Maybe for a time. But where's true discipleship? See, salvation by grace is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And all things, all things become new and old things are passed away. And there's a regeneration, a brand new creation in Jesus Christ. It's brand new. That's what real salvation does. That's what the real gospel does. And it's not a wonder there's so many false professions out there and Christians who've never had a changed life. It's not a wonder. Why? Because it's a false gospel. You've been called and removed from the grace of God unto another gospel, which is not another. It's not another one of the same kind. It's no gospel at all. 
cause of their defection is bad enough, but it comes with something attached to it. There's always consequences. And if you look at verses 8 and 9, you see the curse of defection. Paul says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Here's the curse of defection. There's a curse of defection on those who would propagate it, first of all. Paul said, if anybody preaches something different, a different gospel, let him be a curse. There's a curse on those who would propagate it. Notice how Paul says, though they be an apostle, even. Though we, though we, he's talking about himself and others like him. Though it's an, an apostle, he says, he says if, even if myself or anybody else preaches another gospel, let him be a curse. And let me say this to you. Many who used to preach a pure gospel preach a perverted gospel today. In order to get more conversions, in order to get more people, the gospel becomes watered down or the gospel becomes weak on repentance. And oh, they say the word and they mention it, but nobody knows the doctrine of repentance. And we make it more palatable so people don't keep visiting and then never seeing them again. And so we soften the message and we water the gospel down until we get to the point where we're not preaching a pure gospel. We're preaching a perverted gospel. And note this and make careful note of it. Paul did not rule out his own capability of becoming an apostate. Did you see that? Though we. It's possible. He didn't rule out the capability or his own capability of becoming an apostate. And why is that? I mean, I think that's a good thing that he recognized that because he's still relying on the grace of God. The grace of God. It's amazing how people can change. They're not what they once were. And we should never say never. I would never get to that point. Or I would never turn on the Lord. And I would never preach a false gospel. We should never say never. Because it's amazing how people change. And a pastor can be faithful for, for 30 plus years. And preach the truth. And have good doctrine. And somewhere along the line, something begins to change. And they're not the same person that they used to be. That can happen to any of us. And what we should say is, but for the grace of God, there go I. What we should say, like Jude in verse 24, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Unto him who is able, I can't keep myself, but he can. That word falling in Jude, verse 24, it means stumbling. And it's all in the context of apostasy. Unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling. 
and relying on the grace of God. There's a curse that comes on those who propagate it. Paul said, though we, or an angel, he says. You know what Satan and his ministers preach a false gospel? 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. You know, all that glitters isn't gold, is it? All that calls itself Christian isn't Christian. All that calls itself Baptist isn't really Baptist. Say, you sound like you're angry, Pastor. No. That's what the Word of God says. There's a curse that comes from anyone who will change the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let him be a curse. You know what that word means? It means anathema, which has this definition. It, it has the definition of being doomed to destruction and misery. Whoa. Let's just stop and think about that for a second. Let him be a curse. Anathema. Doomed to destruction and misery. I would say what the thing that I would take away from that is that God takes the truth of the gospel very, very seriously. The gospel is inviolable, friends. To alter it is to risk the wrath of God. Ultimately, that same curse on those who propagate it is going to fall on all those who practice it, too. That curse will fall on all those who practice a false gospel, no matter how sincere they may be. Have you ever known somebody who is very sincere in their false religion? It's sad. They really, truly believe, and they're very sincere in their false belief, but anybody outside of Christ is accursed already. And then verse 9, Paul repeats that condemnation for those who would corrupt the gospel. And the reason he does that is because he wants to make it clear how destructive any distortion of the true gospel is, no matter how slight it might be. I think the takeaway for us, we've made a couple of applications along the way. We should never say never, only by the grace of God. Amen? But we should also take this away, and we ought to ask the Lord to help us, by His grace, to stay faithful and stay true to His Word, to the truth. Amen? But then beyond that, ask the Lord to burden our heart for those around us who are sincere, but they're sincerely deceived in their religion. Ask the Lord to burden our heart, because those people even though they be sincere, have the same curse, the wrath of God, on their soul. Our heart ought to be moved and ought to be touched as we ask the Lord to help us stay faithful or to help us to speak the truth, help us to shine the light. Amen?
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, would you help us? Lord, in our daily Christian living, we can't operate without the grace of God. But then secondly, Lord, we can't even be obedient to the commands of Christ without your divine enablement. Lord, we need you. And Lord, you've commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but then you also said, I will be with you unto the end of the world. You've given me authority and you've given the ability because of your grace. So Lord, I pray that you, Lord, would convict us of the urgent need that there is to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true gospel that is the power of God unto salvation, to never water it down, to never change the message, to never try to make it more palatable to men, but to speak the truth and speak it in love. And Father, I pray that you'd help us as well to always be faithful and always be true, to stand in an evil day and having done all to stand. Bless your people. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for these convictions of truth. And Lord, I pray that you'd work in us and the word of God would work effectually in us that believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.